Welcome to this webinar. This is Cookies and Remarketing. My name's Neil Wilkins. This is part of the college's professional and personal development series for 2022. And uh, we've been exploring a whole host of different topics. And this one is really quite an important one if you work in any way, shape or guise in digital marketing. And I'll explain why as we go through this, because literally everything is about to change. And we will talk about that as we go through the presentation. Um, as always, there will be a questions and answers if you have any burning questions at the uh, end of the uh, presentation. So use the chat facility or the Q&A uh, that you'll see in the menu box. And uh, hopefully, I say hopefully, uh, but hopefully I will be able to answer any questions uh, that you have um, at the end of the presentation. So when I was doing a little bit of uh, detailed research uh, into the topic of cookies and uh, remarketing, of course, when you search cookies uh, in your favorite search engine, you get a whole bunch of different styles of response. Um, did you know that the world's oldest cookie, completely unrelated to the topic that we're going to be talking about today, but interestingly, the world's oldest cookie is known as a Pizzelle, and it's an Italian cookie that is um, designed um, many, many years ago to celebrate the Festival of the Snakes in Abruzzo, which is uh, about halfway down the right hand side of Italy. And uh, that was an interesting one. I didn't realize that cookies came from there originally. The world's best-selling cookie brand is Oreos. Um, this is uh, some old data now, so I'm sure they've significantly increased sales uh, between then and now. But back in 2014, they'd actually generated over 3.2 billion US dollars from the Oreos brand. So cookies are really important in food. Um, did you realize as well that chocolate chip cookies are America's favorite flavor of cookie? And um, coming in second place, peanut butter chocolate chip. Who would have thought it, eh? So anyway, we will get on to why we're actually here in just a moment. But I thought those were quite interesting facts and things that I didn't actually know before I started researching quite deeply into the topic of cookies. Um, and also what I didn't know is that Lou Montuli was the first and almost the inventor, if you like, um, of cookies. Um, he was an internet uh, pioneer back in 1994, which coincidentally was the year that I launched my very first website, uh, which was a surfing uh, forecasting service for wind and wave conditions around the UK and Ireland and Western Europe. Um, things have come a long way since then. We now have satellite imagery and we have webcams on the beaches, but that was back in the day. So cookies have been around for that long. So it is something that I guess as marketers, we have really kind of grown up with. Um, and for a lot of us who have been uh, fortunate enough to have advertising budget to spend, it has been something that we've been able to maximise the opportunity from. And we've been using over this time what we would call third party cookies. OK, now these are just little, um, I guess you could call them little pieces of code um, that do nothing but actually just flag up your presence or the fact that you have actually visited a website. So they don't carry data with them. Uh, they can't um, actively be used to um, sort of load data onto a computer. They are just like little flags that appear on another website. 
And third-party cookies are actually set by a domain other than the one being visited by the user. So they're used almost, if you can imagine, going for a walk with a map and actually at each turn or at each junction on the road or the path that you're following, you put a little flag in to say that you've been there. That is kind of what cookies are doing. Third-party cookies is, is almost like having somebody um, sort of plot this map out in front of you or follow behind you and actually be putting little flags in as to where you've been. And of course, from a mapping perspective, you could then retrace those steps from a, a physical uh, perspective. But also from a, a digital perspective, it would have allowed you when these things were prevalent and they're becoming less and less so, and we'll talk about that, but they would have allowed you then to kind of capture and see not at a, an individual level, not at a, a sort of um, a unique person's level, but as a general kind of flow of your progress and your pathways across the internet. So that when you visit specific types of sites or um, sites um, or um, web domains that have a particular style of content on them, you could then be served with advertising that would relate to your, as would be defined, particular interests. In other words, the websites that you visit give an indication using third-party cookies of the kinds of things that you're interested in. And the idea was back in the day that this would provide you with advertising as a particular um, customer, if you like, potential customer from the advertisers that was directly related to you. But as we've become more and more kind of aware of the challenges of privacy and security, these have become less and less attractive. And we're going to be looking at, as we go through this presentation, a number of different new alternatives that will allow us to gain even more relevance, if you like, in our customers' eyes, but also more detailed targeting over our marketing activity. So whilst I'm going to share with you in just a moment some pretty significant news that you may not be aware of, I'm also going to give you a way out. OK, so this is not all doom and gloom, but things are changing. And if you've ever done any form of online advertising, any form of remarketing, if you've posted some pay-per-click um, display ads, for example, in an attempt to grow your customer base, to gain more followers, uh, maybe you've been looking to do advertising for uh, generating inquiries and leads into your business, or just simply to create some awareness with a particular group of customers, then this webinar and the information I'm going to share with you will apply to you. OK, so if you've ever done any form of paid activity or remarketing, then this has relevance to you. So I would suggest that you pay close attention because the world, as you know, it is about to change. So retargeting okay, or remarketing, um, which is a sort of a generic phrase of using third party cookies to basically place adverts into the line of sight of people who um, hopefully will find your adverts um, um, interesting and engaging. This is going to change. It is going to change because third party cookies will be deceased, if you like, by 2023. Now, when I first decided that this was going to be a hot topic that I needed to share with you, the idea was that it was going to happen this year. OK, so Google, who clearly is always going to be a leader and a trailblazer in um, this particular subject because of things like Google Chrome and obviously its prevalence in search and in advertising through the likes of AdWords and display advertising. They announced last year that they were going to make 2022 the year of the end of the third party cookie. 
Okay. And because online advertisers have relied on these very, very much to kind of serve the advertising and business development for many, many years, and because of various different uh, security concerns and privacy concerns, and to be honest, if we're reading between the lines, the challenges of actually getting these messages across to marketers at the same time as developing good alternative technologies for us marketers, this timeline has actually been pushed out. Okay, so what we're going to be talking about here is going to come into play through 2023. We originally thought it was going to be around the middle of 2022, but the timeline has, has slackened. Now, this isn't something then to say, well, okay, I don't need to worry about this. I'm going to log off and not worry about this right now. There is going to be a lot of work to be done between now and the um the, the removal of third party cookies if you place any form of advertising within your marketing communications mix. There's going to be a lot of work to do between now and then. But I will explain to you some of the steps that you can take because it's important to begin now. What you don't want to do is close the door to this form of business development now by actually not taking action. Okay, so this is very much about taking action, beginning the journey right here, right now. So, what is actually happening? Well, Google is the driver here, as I've said before, and it has announced that it's going to stop the use of third-party cookies in Chrome by the end of next year. So Chrome being the number one browser, Google being the number one player in this space. So when Google and Chrome is kind of basically this is what's happening, the rest of the industry is following fast behind it. Okay, And this actually will um, join a growing list of browsers that have already announced and have already put into place the um, demise, if you like, of third-party cookies. Now, if you use uh, a Mac and you're constantly using Safari, you will have noticed over the last couple of years certain strange things happening, um, certain kind of privacy settings changing within the Safari browser. Um, it isn't obviously anywhere near as, as big and significant as Chrome, but it is still nonetheless a browser that a lot of Pursues. Um, it's one of my uh, sort of preferred browsers. And you will have already noticed that things are changing. Now, we have two kind of perspectives to take here. One is that we can take the perspective of the customer. That's what we're going to do at the end of this presentation. But for now, we need to kind of try and figure out what we need to understand, what we need to keep tracking, and what we need to keep mindful of as a marketer, okay, and as a, an advertiser. Now, this is a really interesting thing because Google is um, consciously now delaying this, and this has been long promised. I mean, this was actually first raised about three years ago that this would be happening. And basically what Google is now saying is that they are citing the need to move at a responsible pace. So what they're saying is that us marketers, we haven't paid attention yet to give a suitable alternative. So they're kind of backing off. What they're also saying is that they don't want to jeopardize the business models of many web publishers. Now, if you've got a website and you use social media, that includes you. Okay, so you are a web publisher. At a bigger scale, you're talking about the likes of Facebook, Stroke Meta, you're talking about Amazon, you're talking about a whole host of you know, major data holding companies, big big web publishers, but they're also talking about you. And what they're looking to do here is to say, look, guys, if you take um, a sort of conscious awareness here of what we're telling you, we're telling you we're going to be stopping this, we're going to be blocking third party cookies, 
very, very soon. And a year is no time away. As long as you pay attention now, we're going to give you that time to think about privacy, to think about security, to think about how you're going to do this differently, because you will no longer be able to do advertising in the way that you've done it before, because it's all been based on these third party cookies, which are going to be removed. So why is there a delay? Well, the two main reasons are that it's privacy first. OK, what they're also looking to do is to say that, OK, they want to be creating with us collaboratively as marketing and as technology um, an interest based community. OK, so that when we think about our customers, yes, we're thinking about what our customers bought and segmenting them and creating customer personas in all the typical ways that we would have always done it. And I'll come back to that in a, in a little while. But what they're also saying is that a lot of the commonality across us as marketers working across different sectors with different types of products, using different technologies and different platforms, there is one common currency that applies both in the tech environment as well as in the marketing environment. And this is the interests that our target audiences have. Because from an interest-based technology, which can track actually the interests that we would assume people are seeing and that they're displaying when they visit certain websites, that we are able then to piece together the data to give meaningful, um, I guess, meaningful experiences to the marketer going forward. So let me give you an example. If I, because I've mentioned surfing here, so if I'm looking consistently at surfing websites, I'm looking at surfing websites for product, I'm looking at surfing websites for, you know, will the waves be good this weekend? I'm looking at surfing websites to watch other people and the pro tour, et cetera, et cetera. Then there can be, from the technology's perspective, a good, solid data-based, evidence-driven assumption that I quite like surfing. So what does that do then? It opens up an opportunity that if the technologies can be driven very much around the interests of our target audience, then we can actually then start to make some data-driven assumptions about what they would like and actually how applicable our products and services are based around those interests. Now, Google is saying that basically, you guys, you're not ready yet because you haven't actually done this at a level deep enough to be able to optimize any of the emerging technologies. So there's a first little hook for us. Do you know? And so it's a rhetorical question for you to think about. But do you know at a deep level the interests that your target customers have? OK, so I'll leave that question with you. We will come back to it, but it's a really important premise for how we can take this forward, because the technology will catch up, but it will be interest based. OK, it will be privacy driven. It will be all about security and not passing unnecessary data across the web so that it can be hacked or that it can be misused. So privacy and security are going to be there. But from our perspective, it's going to be around interests. So there's the first question for you to reflect upon. And as I say, I will come back to that in just a while. So Google has been planning this for years and years and years, okay? And it's coming up with, in theory, some um, 
sort of ways of giving an alternative so that we can actually place targeted advertising in a similar kind of way to the way that we've always done it. Okay, but it will be different. And I will explain the differences in a moment. So what it's doing is it's ditching its planned replacement, which was called Flock, the Federated Learning of Cohorts, Flock, FLOC. Um, and that was going to be the new technology. And it was basically looking at data combinations and data flow to enable us to be able to place relatively accurate targeted advertising. And it's basically decided that that is not going to be the new technology. OK, so it's developing a new tool called Topics. Now, I'm not party to exactly how that tool is going to work yet. I'm not aware of anybody who actually knows deeply how this is going to work. But the clue is in the name topics. Okay, so can you see a correlation here? It's already said in the narrative that we're looking to have an interest-based advertising cohort or community going forward, and there's a new tool coming called topics. Hmm, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to kind of put those two words together and say, okay, I can see where this is going. So we'll look at that and see how we can work with that in the future a little bit later. So topics itself, in theory, is going to do the same thing as some of this other um, um, sort of advertising technology was going to do. So it's going to keep, hopefully, our identity and our movements hidden away from advertisers, but in a slightly different way to the way that third party cookies have been used in the past. So what Chrome will do okay, is it will include code that monitors the sites that we visit and so that it can watch and make assumptions around the interests that we have. But, and this is the, the good side from these security purists here, it will only store this information locally on the browser for three weeks at a time. Okay, so there is a there's a coming kind of coming back in here. There's a kind of an immediacy, there's a kind of a, a need for repeat patterns of behavior. So if you only happen to be interested, for example, in surfing for a week. Well, that isn't something then that's going to really get flagged up. It's going to have to be repetitive periods of time that will demonstrate the interest that you have as you travel around the Internet. And it's going to categorize all of us with a list or from a list of 300 interests or topics. And these could be things like fitness or fashion or, in my case here, surfing. OK, so there's a limit to what this is going to do. But there's also, from Google's perspective, there is a real focus in on a range of combinations of data, because if you think there's 300 interests there, and this, so the number, if you do the multiplier, there's the number of interest combinations is actually quite significant. So we might be losing a little bit of granular detail, but probably not too much. So that is actually quite positive. So when visiting a website, your browser will allow advertisers access to three of these topics chosen at random so that they can decide which adverts to show you. OK, crucially, those three topics are all that the website and the advertiser will be allowed to know about you. You won't get information about gender or race, for example, those kinds of things. So this is interesting. This is really, really showing us very, very clearly that when we're building our customer personas, those profiles of our target 
um, audience of the ones that we're going to serve with organic um, content as well as paid content. It's all about a deep understanding of lifestyle. It's all about a deep understanding of topics stroke interests. Okay, so if that's not an activity that you've done so far in your marketing planning or your customer uh, focus, that is something I would suggest that probably now is the time to do it. So what can we expect then from this thing when the technology starts to roll out, um, the third party cookies start to get switched off, it is going to be a very different world to the one that we're in. Okay, so basically what you can expect is the price to go up. Okay, when you're doing your advertising, because there's technology that has to be recouped, the initial investment, and you can expect the targeting quality potentially to go down. Okay, that's just a fact. There are certain things that you can now target against that you're not going to be able to in the same way for a while, I would suggest, because with all these things, you know, you can imagine if you were a platform provider, you're an advertising platform provider, you're going to want to get some competitive edge here. So you're going to probably be already looking for alternatives to add in that extra granular level of detail going forward. So expect things to kind of balance out and settle down in the coming years. But if you're looking to advertise in 2023, the chances are price goes up, quality of targeting will go down. And if you use programmatic advertising right now, well, you're pretty much stuffed because that is not going to happen in the same way that it happened before. So if you're not aware of programmatic advertising, that's basically where your advertising schedule was basically controlled with AI. In other words, the different um, patterns of behavior that your target audiences were exhibiting almost in real time could then be used to serve them advertising that was kind of in real time. So you didn't plan ahead, you used behaviors of the people you're targeting to know when the best time is to serve adverts to them. So that is all based, almost exclusively based on third party cookies. So that will be gone in the way that we know it right now. But if you're sat there thinking, oh, my Lord, everything is changing. Everything is just going to be switched off and I'm not going to be able to do advertising. What about things like Google Analytics? Because that all uses cookies as well. Well, yes, it does. But don't worry, because Google Analytics and those kinds of um, technologies are based around what we call first party data. OK, so that is data that is held kind of within the website itself that is being used to be tracking. OK, so you think about the way that Google Analytics um, works is you've got the admin rights to your website. You put the little piece of code in, the little tracking code into your website. And so that when somebody comes to your website, you can track where they're going through your website. But as soon as they leave your website, they're gone. You can't see where they have gone. You can't see where they go next because it's the where they go next that is the third party cookie data. So first party cookie data is the bit that you can still have hold of. You can still control. That is untouched by all of this. We're only talking third party cookie data here. Okay, hopefully you understand the difference between the two. And again, remember as well, with something like Google Analytics, you can see that a visitor to your site came from somewhere like Facebook, but you don't know the pages on Facebook further upstream of their journey that they were going to. Or you don't know when they came through following a link from another site, how they were 
actually you know navigating around that site before they got to you so first party data is that kind of ring fence data that you've got control of that is kind of almost like in your walled garden of your website okay so you can see the incoming traffic you can see the outgoing traffic but you can't go outside of the walls that's first party data and just in the definition of what i said there lies the answer to your problems going forward if third-party data has been, or third-party cookies have been the thing you've been relying on to do your advertising. And I'll tell you more about that in just a moment. So if you were to do a little search right now, oh no, I can't do any more third-party cookie advertising, so what are my alternatives? Well, it throws up a whole bunch of different solutions, stuff I've never heard of, stuff that you probably haven't heard of, a whole bunch of acronyms, a whole bunch of new tech, there's new platforms, there's new tools, there's new channels to play with, there's new stuff to learn that really, when I was diving deeply into this, to hopefully give you some really, really good alternatives, I kind of lost the will to live. It really wasn't helpful. And I think for a lot of marketers, this is going to be the case for a number of years. But if we choose not to go down the route of, OK, I need a technology to help me and actually take what turns up in every single search result that you see as the route forward. And that is halfway down this particular slide, which says first party data because wherever you search to the alternatives, you're presented with a whole bunch of tech. And unless you're a real techie or a developer, you're probably not going to find your answer deep in there as a marketer. But the one common theme that comes through time and time again is the one that says first party data. And I saw that everywhere I looked. So I think and I've seen some evidence for this as well, is that the key alternative for us as we look to the rest of this year to plan our life forward without advertising as we know it digitally is that first-party data methods will hold the key to the next steps for businesses and for marketers. And as learn.g2.com suggests in a big article that they wrote, in the wake of phasing out third-party cookies, businesses and marketers need to use first-party data as much as possible. Now, just the definition of the words first-party data, guess who's got control of first-party data? Yeah, it's you. It absolutely is you. This whole idea of first-party data is data that you have probably already started, if you haven't at a, a deep level, you can certainly start now, to collect about the people who are visiting your website, about the people who are going through the customer journey that you've plotted, about the people who are responding to your emails, about literally all of the data handling that you have control of. So if you can imagine, and I've used the phrase walled garden uh, just a few moments ago, if you can imagine that your business or your organization is sitting in a walled garden and the walls are very, very high. Stuff can't look in, stuff can't get out. You know, you can see the sky, you've got loads of opportunities, but the data that you're holding sits within these ring-fenced walls, if you like, of your organization. This is where first-party data resides. 
Okay, so it is the email addresses, it is the phone numbers so that you can text, it is the connections, it is the behaviours about how people have gone through the customer journey with you, it is about the loyalty scheme, it is about all of those incentives that you've done and you've you know, used to help people to communicate with you or to buy more product from you, all of the data that you're holding. And if you're lucky enough to have a marketing or management information system or CRM, customer relationship management system, this is what we're talking about. This is first party data. And if you've collected it with consent, and I'll talk about that in a, in a little while, because that is going to be very important going forward. To succeed in the world without cookies, Gartner themselves have said, employ a first party data strategy and refocus on consent based advertising by obtaining users informed consent before collecting their data. So now you're getting control back. It's almost like for those of us who have been in marketing and advertising communications for a long, long time, it's almost like now we're coming full circle because a lot of what we've had to do is pay kind of lip service to the advertising platforms. We haven't always had it our way. Um, it's not like back in the old days where, you know, it was offline advertising and you had a budget and you put the ad out there. You kind of waited to see if anything happened. You didn't really know which advertising was working. It did get better, but then a lot of it came sort of to the point where it was outside of our control. What Gartner's saying is that now this is now with the demise of third party cookies, it's the opportunity for marketers to get back the control of the data that we can use to really, really create strong, engaging motivation and you know, really, really powerful customer journeys for all of the customers that we want to be talking to. So now is the time to focus and double down on our data. Okay, so data within our holding. So forget the advertising platforms for a moment. Let's look inside the walls of our walled garden in which our business or organization sits and let's see what it is that we can do in here to actually make this thing happen. So Gartner has kind of obviously done a lot of work behind this and they're saying, and they've actually used the, the, the term walled gardens as well. And what they're saying is what you can actually do now is really, really focus on this first party data because when done right, it can be used to team up with publishers and advertisers to map out user behavior for better ad targeting and intent data measurement. Okay, so what they really mean by that is if we can get a deep understanding, not only of our customers or target customers behaviors, but also their interests and their intentions, then when the technology catches up, and it will happen through this coming year to 18 months, because it just will, because all of the current platforms are going to have to do this, particularly some of the big players, um, when, when that actually happens, then you are going to be in a very, very strong position to be able to match your um, interests and topics that you know your customers have with the platforms and the way that they are doing their targeting based around interests and intent. So if you've got the data, you've been capturing the data, you've been working with your first party data, you will then have the fuel to power the next version of this advertising world. 
And so there's three potential outcomes really of kind of what's going to happen here. And a lot of this is based around privacy. And I'll come back in a moment just to kind of what you need to do really to make sure that you're holding the right kind of content, because all of the GDPR stuff that we've all learned as marketers, all of the kind of you know, protecting data and being really, really diligent about how we kind of nurture that data relationship in our organizations will play a huge part in this going forward. So we are looking here at quality, not just quantity. Okay, so we're not looking to necessarily amass huge, great um, pots of first party data. Well, we are probably, but what we're looking to do is make sure that data is the highest of quality. Okay, so there's three things to think about here. The fact is that some of the big consumer facing platforms that people like obviously Google themselves, Facebook, as I mentioned before, sort of meta, and people like Amazon, they have obviously huge amounts of their own first party data. Now, of course, they're going to be holding on to that data and protecting it for you know, life or death, because that is going to be something that they can really, really trade on going forward, because the quality of the data that they're holding is going to have a huge commercial value okay, in this new post third party cookie world. So just know that that might open up some opportunities for you in the future. Okay, so they're going to be doing this walled garden approach as well. So this is why I'm suggesting to you that is a very, very strong starting point. But for them, privacy and everything is going to be important too. The consent economy is going to be a very interesting one, the way that Gartner describes this, because what they're going to be doing is they're going to be saying, well, okay, all you guys, all you marketers, all you big players, you're all collecting all this first party data. But actually, what we're going to make sure is that from a legal perspective, from a government perspective, from a regulator or legislator perspective, we're going to make sure that people who have got a strong um, strategy around the whole idea of pre-consent, in other words, you're getting complete consent from anybody whose data you're holding as to the type of data you're holding. This is almost GDPR plus, if you like. So rather than just saying, oh, yes, it's legitimate interest, I've captured that data, put it into the system. Actually, probably what's going to go forward is like, that's actually not going to be enough. You need to probably double check that that is actually data that the person whose data it's about is actually happy for you to then reuse or repurpose or hold that data in the longer term. So a strong consent economy is going to rise up in favour probably of the most trusted publishers, of which you may well be one. Okay, so the quality with which you do this is really, really important. So you have to know compliance. You have to know in your industry, what is the regulation? What, what are the things that we're meant to be doing? What is best practice? And then look higher as to what is industry best practice and keep a watching brief on this because this will change. Okay, there will be new iterations of the regulations and the legislation. So make sure you're very, very well informed because as that changes, you've got to make sure you're compliant because you will be rewarded. Yes, in the future, you might be able to get away with first party data that isn't as clean as it might be but if you're doing this right and then you want to team up with some of these bigger players and you want to get out there advertising again in the future if you've got squeaky clean data you're going to be then favored and you're going to be given preferential terms this is very much about a partnership approach and also about being a little bit 
innovative, and this is something I want to come on to talking about uh, in a moment, the way that we're going to be able to identify the individuals that we want to be targeting is changing. At the moment, we can get a pretty close match with the current technologies, be it you're doing um, sort of Google um, sort of advertising, um, or you're doing something, say, maybe with Facebook or one of the other uh, social networks, you can pretty much specify a a profile of your um, sort of lookalike audience is a really great example. If you use Facebook Business Manager, you can get a pretty close uh, sort of relevant uh, score with the people you're targeting with actually who you've actually got in your database. But going forward, we've got to get smarter. We've got to get smarter about how we can really sort of almost work hand in hand with the emerging technologies. So again, keeping a watching brief on what's coming, not only from a regulation, legislation perspective, but also very much from the tech side of things. And it may well be that some of the stuff like blockchain will come in and help us. It may well be that the whole idea of virtual personal assistance will be some of the new technologies, certainly Gartner flags those two up, that will enable the technology to kind of keep keep pace with what we want as marketers. But we will see that's going to be you know, something for the future to discuss. So with all of that in mind, I want to try and give you some answers and a little bit of a steer for some things that you can sort of do now to actually begin to create a first party data marketing plan. Okay. Now, when I started to create this, and I built this literally from scratch, I thought, well, okay, let's try and keep this simple. And then it started to get bigger and bigger and longer and longer. And as I went through this, I thought, you know, actually, this is a long process. So what I'm going to suggest is that you actually create a nine month timeline to figure this out. Okay, so do this at a steady pace. Don't think you've got to do this next week, even if you're an advertiser. This is not going to change overnight, but just know it is coming. So set a, I would suggest, probably nine-month timeline. So sort of imagine kind of hitting this before Christmas so you've kind of got this thing sorted. In terms of a strategy, you may well be able to roll some of this out tactically as well. So first thing I want you to think about is revisiting and refining your data privacy and security policies. That sounds a bit glamorous and a bit big. Basically, what are you doing and saying at the moment to commit to your customers about how you're holding their data? So what data privacy and what security claims are you making? Revisit those and just make sure, based on what we know is coming now, that they are going to be applicable to the future. If you've got any questions in there, just flag those questions up and make sure you diary in to come back and look at those when you've gone deeper into this process. But that is something you are going to have to refine as you go forward into next year. Next point, point three of 21. Yes, there's a lot of stuff to do here, but I'm going to rattle through these pretty quickly. Point three of 21 is set high level strategic goals for this first party data marketing plan. In other words, begin from a strategic view. Okay, don't just think, oh, no, Neil's told me I've got to go and collect all this lovely data, but where do I start? Start right at the very, very highest level. Why do you want to collect data? Okay, just stop and pause for a moment. What is data going to bring to your business? 
And then you can start to then drill down, okay, from a marketing perspective, where's the value in data? What kinds of sets of data? Remember interest stroke topics in brackets there, you know that's coming. But think about the other stuff as well. What else do you need in your strategy? Why do you want data? And also really importantly from a GDPR perspective is what are you going to do with the why do you want it? Because you've got to be able to justify why you want data. So for me, there will be a whole bunch of different styles of data that I could never justify using. But if you can justify a data holding because you have plans strategically or tactically to use that data, then you have some evidence to back up why that's important to you. So begin with the strategic, okay? Really critique the type of data you're holding and less is more. Keep it simple from the start. That's really important. Otherwise, you can get seriously bogged down by data, data processing. So point four, revisit your own data records. OK, so how are you capturing data right now? So is it web forms? Are you doing surveys? Have you got past research? Are you kind of you know, capturing emails? What, what is it you're doing? And actually, where, are the, where is that data held? Is it in a single system or is it kind of spread out right across the business? And mm, well, maybe there's a chance then to think about, oh, actually, could we bring it all together? Because whilst we're doing this first party data program, mm, instead of having it all over our wall garden, why don't we actually try and combine some of this stuff? Could we hold it in a single system? Mm, it's going to raise quite a few questions, I think. So we're not looking to answer them here. This is a checklist for things to really consider over this next nine months. Next 1.5 is data cleanse and seek new consent on all appropriate data records you hold. So make sure that you don't just think, oh, yeah, we've got grabbed that data six years ago. It is probably about right. You know, it's probably quite accurate is go back and cleanse the data. There's nothing worse than having a bloated data system with loads of old records that, you know, either bounce when you send out an email or people don't answer the phone because the business is gone cleanse your data on an ongoing basis that could be something you want to put into your strategic plan for this is a consistent pattern of data cleansing and of course if you are sending stuff out on a regular basis make sure you're giving that option to unsubscribe and wherever possible seek new consent on any new data that you're capturing because that is going to be important going forward it's all about the customer relationship prove that you can give them value and they will give you data that's the point. You can't just expect somebody to give you all their data for nothing in return. Where's the trade there? Where's the relationship building? Data can be something you use to build customer intimate relationships. So that's something to keep a mindful note of. Point six is to replot your customer journeys for your priority customer personas. You've got to figure out where you're going to start this stuff. It's always the 80-20 rule. You know, 20% of your customer customers are going to give you 80% of the value. So figure out who your priorities are. And then on those customer journeys, point seven, identify the critical paths on their journeys. Plot those journeys out step by step by step. Because what you can do... At point eight is to spot multiple, hopefully, and importantly, very compelling data capture points on their journeys. So as you plot out those customer journeys step by step through every page of the website, through social media, through getting a newsletter, through et cetera, et cetera, what points on those critical paths in those journeys would be potentially, and it might be potentially, or you might be doing it already, a chance for you to capture another little piece of useful data. 
Because if that is, remember, this is your first party data marketing plan. So if you can identify new places where, oh, actually, yeah, because we've done that, they might actually let us have a little bit of data there. Or, well, we can actually just grab that piece of knowledge or intelligence and that can go into our system. So what you're doing is you're building up this profile of the customer journey based around data, not just based around a pretty picture that sits on the wall that tells you, oh, got to do some social media posting next month because we haven't done any. This is much more data and evidence driven. It's really, really important. So then what you can do is you can then break that down. Point nine is find out what kinds of data you could capture at the awareness stage of the customer journey. Point 10, find out what you can capture at the conversion stage in the customer journey. And of course, that will be very different. There'll be different levels of data you might want to capture. So plot this out and no one size fits all. I can't tell you precisely what data you'd want to put in there because it's all based around you and your customer and their journey. So that's really important thing to think about. It is very personalized to you. And at the retention stage, that third stage or phase of the customer journey, point 11 of 21, is establish loyalty and reward schemes for capturing data. So you give a little, they get a little back. So if you want to you know, build that loyalty and that advocacy whilst you're doing that, think about what data could we capture? What can we learn and understand about how our customers really behave? And actually, because Neil said topics and Gartner said interests and everybody else has been talking about this thing of understanding the real lifestyle. Now we know the customer, we know kind of what they're doing and they're part of our loyalty scheme. Could we actually tease out more data that's relevant to understand who they are and actually what they're doing on a Saturday afternoon rather than just what they buy, what they purchase and when? Actually understanding their lifestyle. This is the next level down of customer relationship. There's some really, really powerful good stuff in here if you choose to go on this journey. So point 12 is potentially then reimagining the key customer persona decision-making criteria at each stage in their journey. In other words, getting into the head of the customer as they go through this journey with you. You're capturing the data, but what's going on in their minds? What are they feeling as well as what are they thinking as they go through it? Could you reimagine some of those steps in that journey? to allow them to get a, you know, a, a deeper level of intimacy with you as a brand or as an experience, because then they might be willing to part with a little bit more data that could allow you then to serve them with higher quality communications or experience. And that, of course, then lends into point 13 of 21, which is you can then create a matrix or matrices that show you a correlation between the customer data with their decision-making criteria. In other words, if they decide, okay, I'm willing to buy this product because I'm in this mindset, because you've served me with this information or this data, then I'm willing to do this or I'm willing to do that. If you can see a correlation between what you serve and what they do based on their mindset and your deep level of understanding of them, well, what does that do? It opens up point 14, which is matching the correlations of what you see with products and services that you have to offer. So there's an actual business growth opportunity here if you can get this thing right. So you're capturing data, but you're capturing the right data to understand the customer better. So you can then serve them back at point 15, seeking opportunities to upsell, to cross sell, and maybe even back sell stuff that they missed earlier in the journey. 
So there's a huge opportunity here with this intimate understanding. Remember, we're still in first party data world here in our little ringed walled garden. We're not looking outside yet because at point 16, we're going to switch off all of our third party data campaigns, platforms and tools for now. OK, and what we're going to do at point 17 is we're going to create test campaigns. We're going to test those correlations at a low level before scaling up. So when we see person A gets to this point on the journey, we've captured a little piece of information. We've actually got a bit of data to feed into the system and they, pour, they bought product X. What do we then serve them with? We serve them with the next little piece of information because we know what their mindset is. And then we take them to point Y on the journey. And so we're choreographers, we're choreographing an experience and we're serving them, potentially advertising to them with first party data. And maybe we have to buy in some records. Point 18, exploring first party data agencies who have related persona data records and they will already be out there. Of course, it's always by consent, but you can then start to grow this thing as you see a match between people their behaviors, the data you're capturing, your targets and your objectives, and it's all under your control. So we're actually taking advertising and promotions more in-house for a while. And we're at point 19 of 21, we're resetting our marketing. We're resetting our key performance indication indicators. We're resetting our promotion and advertising targets and the goals that we've always had for our campaigns. We're kind of reimagining them. We're letting the competition fall into the deep, dark hole that is, oh, no, all this advertising opportunity is now switched off because we're going to get ahead of the game here by doing this, by treating our own data first before we then come back into play in a year or so's time when the technology's caught up, when the opportunities are there for something like Google Topics to really take a part everything you know that we had before and actually deliver something more powerful we've still been able to have control and if at point 20 of 21 we measure and analyze before creating a continuous improvement process through each of these customer journeys where we're constantly listening constantly watching fine-tuning the data that we're holding just getting better and better and better at every single step starting small but then scaling it up we're getting an opportunity here to be ready when the market's ready for us to return back into the, the world outside of our walled garden at point 21 of 21 in our first party data marketing plan. If we are watching the marketing media for new platforms and tools, these will support our plan because we've got our data in-house correct and serving us and delivering to our goals. We've developed customer intimacy and we know the topics and the interests that our customers have. And then, because it really it's only just then, we'll be ready to go back out into the world with the new tools and the new platforms and then start to really, really scale this up with third-party advertising. And that's it, really. It is about kind of looking more inward again. It is about taking back the control over something that had really kind of got a little bit loose. And for most of us, if we're being really brutally honest, we haven't really done as well as we could in our customer profiling. We haven't got it down to the level of what are our customers' interests? What are the topics that resonate with them? And how do our products and services resonate and correlate with those interests? That 
is the panacea of this thing going forward. That's where we need to get this to. And now is the time to focus on it because now is the time to really kind of stretch on and say, okay, the world is changing out there. We've really got to get our house in order. We've got to do it now because then in nine months' time, when the world looks very, very different again, we're going to be in such a strong position. We'll know our customer, we'll have that intimacy, and we'll be ready to get back out there with whatever the alternative is to the old world of cookies that really, to be fair, were quite expensive. Nobody really kind of understood them, and they didn't really serve us as marketers. Now is the time to get back to the true essence of what marketing is all about, and that really is serving our customers with optimum experience so that we can actually make more business, more generate more products and service sales and develop those long-term relationships.